Seahawks over, Dolphins over, Ravens under, Titans team total in the first half over. Just a sampling of some of the betting picks that were generated by the computer model that we released last week. In all, totals went four and one. Totals right now are sitting at 12 and five on the year. That's 71%. All betting recommendations are 26 and 12. That's 68%. We went 15 and eight on player props last week. Guys, I'm telling you, this is a season you want to get in on this betting package. You want to do it now. You'll get 25% off anything at the website. We just dropped the prices. Prices are reduced and take 25% off of them. Use the code GET25. Go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Use the code GET25 right now. Might as well get the all-access package so you can unlock all of Rich Rebar's worksheets for every single game, predicting outcomes, forecasts for players, Great stats and nuggets that you're going to need to know. Advanced data that you're not going to find anywhere else. But I guarantee you, you're going to hear it regurgitated elsewhere because so many people access this and then use the information for their own. Get the worksheet. Comes out Tuesday and Wednesday. You'll hear it elsewhere later in the week on podcasts and other media appearances, I assure you. Find it from the source, the originators, sharpfootballanalysis.com. Get 25 is the code, 25% off everything. Do it right now. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we have made it to the bye weeks, week six. We've got some guys off this week. So remember, if you got any Lions, Texans, Raiders, or Titans this week, get those guys out of your lineup as we head into Thursday night game. Uh, but, you know, hey, we've got a large sample now brewing here. I brought in uh, another guest to help us up. You know, we, we bring in the best and brightest uh, in the fantasy community, guys I can latch on to, get some really good ideas from. And, you know, me and the guest today, we're talking before the show, and we haven't really done a lot of podcasts together. I think just one or two, never any solo. And that guest is Pat Corain from NBC Sports Edge, powered by Roto World. I really like <laughs> to say that, powered by Roto World. And uh, the ship chasing crew. Uh, Pat, what's going on, brother? Yeah, not too much. Yeah, I, th- I I do not think we've ever done a podcast just one-on-one. So this will be a lot of fun, Rich. Uh, and yeah, doing. Uh, I call it, I just call it Roto World now. You know, it, it was Roto World. That's back. how I, yeah, it's just back. I, no one's yelling at me if I call it Roto World, so I just am. Yeah, you know, I made sure when I ran into Ed and all you guys at Canton to snag a Roto World t-shirt, I said, I'm not missing out on one of these. You guys got to wear them for one football play, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that Denny threw to the other team. But uh, I had to snag one of those. So uh, It is, it is tough it. when your quarterback throws an interception on the first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so listen, I wanted to, to, to bring you on because, one, we don't really chat a lot. And uh, I generally – love a lot of the ideas you have uh when we get to talk in person we've hung out twice in canton uh the last few years and have got a chance to you know just kind of riff on you know fantasy football a little bit uh and i always love the conversations we had and i want to bring some of that here to the podcast you are kind of known as the legendary running back good guy you know you wrote you you wrote these big soliloquies uh on (laughs) Uh, at, at Roto World the last couple of years, like kind of breaking down like the range of outcomes for like the top high end running backs, which is fun because you are part of the ship chasing crew guys that, you know, generally are not going to draft any of these guys uh, in any <laughs> leagues, uh, which is kind of a fun dynamic. And there might be a reason for that because you dig into all these guys to that degree. Um, but, but first, like let everyone kind of know like what 
the kind of thesis of those articles are like what a legend running back is a legendary running back is and uh we'll kind of take it from there and kind of talk about some of this a little bit yeah so the idea behind the legendary running back uh series like basically i defined it as you know you're looking for these running back seasons that are 23 plus points per game you know minimum 12 games played that's kind of the arbitrary thresholds that i used and you know but Technically, then Jonathan Taylor didn't have a legendary running back season last year, but, you know, he kind of did, you know. So what you're basically trying to find is who's going to be that running back that just absolutely separates from the rest of the pack and does so in a really dramatic way. And the reason I wanted to kind of quantify this and get into this idea with with these articles is that, you know, I think people maybe don't quite fully understand the dynamics at play with early round running backs mm-hmm. and the way you win your league is, you know, if you have a Jonathan Taylor or often a guy who has an even better season than Taylor's 2021, you're getting a very high scoring player at a position that's generally not scoring a ton of points week in week out from those, those high, those uh, early drafted guys. Cause we see a lot of bust rates from those early drafted running backs, but we also see outcomes like Ezekiel Elliott last year. And, that type of outcome, the the outcome where you get a guy with a top five pick and he scores well below 20 points per game, that really hurts you. One, because, you know, you didn't get the, the Jonathan Taylor breakout guy, but you also are giving up a ton of opportunity cost at wide receiver, at tight end. So you want, you want to be thinking through the bet you're making. And the bet you're making is basically, I'm going to find this game breaker at the running back position. I do think that if you can have a good chance of getting that game breaking running back is very much worth taking a running back in the mm-hmm. first couple of rounds. I actually, as much as, you know, I am a ship chaser. My favorite, uh, my favorite type of build is anchor running back mm-hmm. where you get the, you take your one shot on, I think this guy's going to be a legend. And then you build a really strong team around that running back. Um, and, and this is why, because you, you see these running backs, they do have this type of, of ceiling and it's a ceiling that we generally don't find even at the wide receiver position like cooper cup aside you're not really getting like a 25 plus point per game season from a wide receiver and you know with kind of vintage christian mccaffrey we were getting that um so you know i do think you want to think through the bet you're actually making at running back really understanding you're looking for a specific type of mega ceiling only certain profiles are going to fit that really yeah, yeah. I'm everyone knows I'm a big fan of the anchor RB build because it's kind of like, you know, having your cake and eating it too if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh that's kind of the thing. You get like the best, the benefits of the legendary running back season, and then kind of the benefits of what you get from like an anti-fragile build. It's kind of double dipping, but you know, you still are prone to the fragility of the having those guys that hit, you know, if you were someone that took Jonathan Taylor right now and did an anchor build, uh, yep. not looking so hot right now. And running backs, the first couple of weeks look really bad. Early running, early running backs. We've had some kind of recoil here, and they've rebounded a little bit the past couple of weeks. But as the landscape is gone now for five weeks, I mean, do we have anyone that is looking like a legendary running back at this point, or anybody that you believe, you know, big picture is kind of you know trending towards that? I think the two best candidates are Saquon Barkley and Austin Eckler. Um, both of them have, you know, pretty strong workloads and both have been very efficient. Uh, I think Barkley's probably the best candidate. He's got, he's had uh, expected points uh, per PFF of 18.1 points per game. 
He's playing efficiently. He's involved as a receiver. The whole offense is kind of built around him. I think they're a well-coached team. They're getting enough decent quarterback play. Daniel Jones' accuracy has actually been fairly impressive. They don't have – like I think Barkley would be better off if they could get some receivers to help move the chains mm-hmm. a little bit more. And, and maybe they will with Wondell Robinson starting to turn in the right direction. Maybe, maybe we get Tony eventually. So I, I think Barkley's probably the best bet right now. Um, but, yeah, it's been kind of a – disappointing running back landscape overall. I think just the Panthers being as bad as they've been has been really tough. McCaffrey does lead the all running backs with an 86% snap share, all running backs with a 23% target share. So I still think he has an outside chance, like if the Panthers can get it together a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, he is, he has just been really, really hampered by his overall situation, but the profile we were banking on actually has been there for Mm -hmm. McCaffrey. You just need a lot of things to go right in order for uh, a running back to produce one of these seasons, which is why they're hard to find. Yeah. You know, Carolina is one of these teams that, you know, just isn't running any plays at all and they're not getting to the red zone at all. Uh, You know, they've run four plays inside the opponent's 10 yard line through five weeks. Uh, That's not how you score touchdowns. If you're running back, unless you're Austin Eckler, apparently Eckler himself is one of the more unique players. I think of our generation, we just maybe have to throw some, some stuff out the window with him that just doesn't apply to other running backs because he doesn't get like a ton of touches. And then, He's conceding touches inside like the money zone, but then he's probably the most efficient pass catching receiver we've had since Marshall Falk. Uh, apparently he's just going to get all these three pointers, right? Like he's all his touchdowns are from 10 yards or further now this year. Uh, just one of these players that just kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, but makes all the sense. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's, we just, he's just a unique guy, man. Um, and he loves fantasy football. So we got to give him a little tip of the, of the cap, but you only rattling off t- two names. There were a lot more than two running backs drafted in the uh, top two rounds. And especially the first round. Um, is this something you, you've you seen as you've done this piece for a couple of years, uh, a trend that maybe the legendary running back is, we don't want to say dying, but like is, is, dwindle, is dwindling down? So I think one of the issues with this year's um, particular crop of running backs is that looking at the running backs who have had these types of seasons, they're almost all 25 or younger. Because again, like you need – yeah. In general, you cannot really ask for a running back to have a workload worth 23 plus points per game. Like that's nuts. Joe Mixon had that through week four, but he's now dropped below that. And you're just never really going to see it. So, okay, if the workload's worth less than 23 points per game, what's the rest? It's efficiency. So you need a guy on a huge workload that can then produce efficiently. Generally, those guys are going to be the young you know, like completely in their prime, not like at the very beginning of tailing off, like they are completely in their prime. They're superstar talents. And it's just like so much harder to be that kind of talent, you know, as you age, I think you can, of course, at 26, 27 produce a season like this, but in general, I'd be more interested in the receiving backs in that mold because it's just going to be easier to rack up points through receptions. You know, I think Leonard Fournette can still, as we saw last week, have a huge weekly ceiling in part because he can just, you know, he had 11 targets last week, you know? So if you can rack up that type of volume, then, you know, that gives you an access to a, to a ceiling that maybe you don't have through like sheer breakaway ability, elusiveness anymore, stuff like that. So I do think that this year's crop was like particularly fragile because 
like even guys like Dalvin Cook were older than we wanted. Yep. It wasn't just Derrick Henry, you know, what like Aaron Jones is, is like 27 going 28. So a lot of the guys that we wanted, you know, are they're just a bit older and uh, you know, we're starting to see maybe Brees Hall kind of emerges as someone who's like got an outside shot. Maybe he won't have a true legendary season as I defined it, but he could come on down the stretch and be that For guy like David Johnson's yeah. rookie year where you're just like, you had to have him. So um, yeah, I think maybe, maybe a little bit of a, a transition year at the running back position. Yeah. Outside of the age thing too, something that, uh, you know, I wrote about in the off season was just the, the multi-year run of just running backs, not being used as pass catchers. Mm-hmm. And like, we've seen just running back receiving just continuously year after year, it keeps going down. And I had a tweet a couple of days ago uh, on my timeline that showed we were running back receiving through five weeks of the last decade. And it's, it's once again, trending down uh, last year. We only had two running backs that were in the top 12 of both receiving and rushing points per game. And this year we don't have any through five weeks. Uh, so yeah, it's been really tough to get kind of like those, those big dual threat guys. Now, like there are still guys catching passes and it matters. Um, and having the RB one in context of any season matters. Like remember when Devontae Freeman was like the lowest scoring RB one ever, it, he still was the RB one that year and he mattered, uh, just like, you know, Jonathan Taylor last year. Uh, let's talk about some of the, a couple of these guys up at the front. Obviously the, the first guy is Jonathan Taylor. Um, he's had a terrible run out to start the season. He missed the game. It looks like he's trending to be back this week, especially with the long layoff missing last week and they had a Thursday game and then getting to play this week. But we saw the last two games he played. I mean, he has rushed, what, 40 times for 113 yards. He doesn't look good. The offensive line is a problem. Uh, How are you handling Jonathan Taylor the rest of the season? So one of the things that I looked at um, was offensive line play for these legendary running back seasons. And it's it's definitely really important. And Mm. one of the things he found is that a lot of these guys had top five offensive lines uh, as measured by adjusted line yards um, of of, uh, Mm -hmm. football outsider stat. And the Colts are like nowhere near even having a good offensive line. They're terrible at pass blocking. They rank 24th in PFFs run blocking grades. So Taylor's not getting that. And I think in particular, like when you look at the guys who succeeded without really good offensive lines, it's like McCaffrey. McCaffrey doesn't need a good offensive line. In fact, maybe it helps him specifically because he's getting even more dump offs potentially. So with Taylor, it's he's, I, he's a very talented pass catcher, but he doesn't get used like a McCaffrey, obviously in the passing game, he needs to be able to get rolling as a rusher and the, the line play is really hurting him. And the quarterback play has not been good. So I don't think he's like de- destined to be like a bust this year, but for where you like a true bus, but for what you paid, I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see him paying that off truly, especially because it's a year where cup is smashing where Jefferson is playing very, very well. You know, where, like I said, I think McCaffrey still has a chance to maybe be the guy. If you know, the offense, like even if the offense is functional for like a six week stretch to close the season, McCaffrey could crush in the playoffs. So yeah, I, I was very interested in Taylor. I thought, you know, just talent wise, he was a good bet and maybe the talent overcomes the situation, but the situation is, is worse than I think anyone was really thinking it might be including me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And anyone watched that game on Thursday night, you know, it was kind of like a, uh, one of those like misery loves company nights, like where Twitter, they, everyone like was it watching was. that game and like uh, everyone knew it was kind of just like, yeah, they swerve into it. Sometimes those nights end up being fun Twitter nights because, you know, everyone's just kind of <laughs> goofing and having fun, you know. Cool. Cause everyone's <laughs> on the same page for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of reminded, reminded me too, like, uh, you know, we'll probably never see it again, but like when Game of Thrones that, that was at its apex at the end there, like the memes, like everything was just so fire because it was literally everyone in the world was almost watching this one show at one time. And that's how like it is. And we know the sports community comes together on these, you know, football island games. Uh, so, yeah, it was fun to see some of the tweets, everyone trying to just live their own way through it when their game had no offensive touchdowns in it. And that's how football has kind of been this year in 2020. We might get another chance to do it here with the commanders. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, we've got bears two weeks in a row on primetime. So uh, RIP because they're on primetime again in week seven in Monday oh, night football. So <laughs> good luck to us. One of the guys that looks like he might be what we thought we were getting in Jonathan Taylor is Nick Chubb. who just had like an, mm. an unreal run out to start the year. Uh, and the Browns have played, uh, the Browns are one of those teams that probably played a little bit better than what we thought they would without Deshaun Watson in terms of like generating production and points. Only the uh, Bills and Chiefs have reached the red zone in a higher rate of drives than the Browns. Uh, how do you handle a guy like Nick Chubb, who we know who is like inherently even more fragile than Jonathan Taylor was last year? Because at least Jonathan Taylor was getting all the all the touches still. Uh, we have he, Nick Chubb sharing time with Kareem Hunt still. Uh, he's dependent on like these long runs and the Browns, you know, staying in these game scripts. How bullish on are you on like him sustaining this? Like, do you want to try to get out? Do you just want to ride this thing as, as far as it goes? Uh, what do we think about Nick Chubb for the rest of the season? So I'm not getting out right now because you're going against the Patriots who right. have a terrible <laughs> run defense and they're going to want to run on the Browns who also have a terrible run defense. So it's it's going to be uh, like. What was that Falcons game a couple of weeks ago where they just, you know, both teams just ran nonstop. And I think it might be like that, but they're actually able to move the ball and put up points. The Browns rushing game this year in terms of EPA per play, it ranks only behind the passing offenses of the Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Seahawks and Dolphins. Yeah. They have the efficiency of they, they have been more efficient as a running game than the Chargers, the Ravens, the Buccaneers passing games. It's been nuts. So, I mean, and we we all agree and know and, you know, can just observe, frankly, that Nick Chubb is an incredible rusher, right? No one has ever argued against that. Uh, you know, the counter is always like, yeah, but he doesn't catch the ball for fantasy. So, therefore, you know, we're not. But Chubb, I mean, he was a third round pick. I didn't even have him in my legendary upside piece this year because I cover guys who were going in the first two rounds. When you were taking Nick Chubb, you know, like if you're taking Najee Harris, you're potentially taking him over Devontae Adams and Stefan mm -hmm. Diggs. That's going to absolutely crush you. If you're getting Chubb, you're potentially getting him over DJ Moore and Michael Pittman. <laughs> it's going to be a smash. It's going to be an absolute smash. So like your, your opportunity cost was so much lower. It's going to go down as a great, great pick. I think even if he does tail off, but I don't think he's tailing off at least this week. So yeah, I'd be riding it for now. Yeah, uh, they do have a, a couple of, uh, you know, sketchy games coming up with when you think about Jacoby Brissett, but the offense has played so much better than I think anyone assumed. Uh, I had a little nugget, too, about, you know, his what the Browns have done this, this year offensively, especially with Nick Chubb. 
Uh, 48% of his carries have now come with three or more wide receivers on the field. Under mm-hmm. Kevin Svansky, the first two years, it was 32% and 37.9%. On those carries, Nick Chubb is averaging 7.2 yards per carry. Like, oh like that Kyler Murray hasn't even thrown for six and a half, uh, more than six and a half yards per attempt in any game this season. Um, <laughs> and what that has done is on those 47 carries, he's faced the loaded box just four times because personnel dictates defensive personnel. Um, and on the 51 carries that Nick Chubb has with two or fewer wide receivers in the field, he's faced eight or more defenders in the box on 42 of those 51 carries. Now he's still really good. Like, cause Nick Chubb's one of these like entities that's like, even against load of boxes has been like amazing and way above league rate, but getting him in even more favorable situations with lighter, lighter boxes and not facing so many eight plus defender boxes, uh, seven yards per carry per run. Like even, even we, us that want pass rate over expectations stuff, like if you're running it for seven yards a pop, by all means, just keep handing. I couldn't agree more. I want efficient (laughs) offense. If you found a way to to actually spread to run and it's working, like, please, like Nick Chubb's awesome. When he had that stiff arm last week and he like, he got fat, he's like stiff armed the guy and it like like sped him up. Yeah, it was like a speed burst he hit. Yeah. It was like when Sonic would run through those little things, those like turnstiles. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I love it. Well, one other guy I want to ask you about uh, is Alvin Kamara. Because we saw Kamara, like, he, he fought through. He, he picked up the rib injury in week one, then missed week two, came back, had a, a really good workload, but was was still, like, quasi-limited in week three, then ends up missing week four again. Like, he re-aggravated it. Comes back last week. The workload's there. Like, the, the dual-threat ability's there. And then Taysom Hill, like, just comes and just takes away all of our money touches. Uh are, are you looking at last week as a, an opportunity to say, like, all right, well, Taysom's not going to get all of this opportunity moving forward, even if he is a potential thorn? Or are you saying, like, yeah, this could be a bigger problem, and also he might not play the Seahawks every week with Alvin Kamara? Do you think he still has that kind of almost legendary upside in him on a weekly basis outside of maybe you don't get it for a seasonal base? So the thing with Kamara last year was that he wasn't being used like Kamara anymore. He mm-hmm. was getting, like, these – really big rushing workloads and he wasn't nearly as efficient as he's been in years past, which again, like he's someone who's a bit older than we want. So that drop off in efficiency was very concerning, I think. But uh, last week, 67% route rate, he had a 25% target share. Uh, Like that's to me, it's like, I just want Kamara to get used in the passing game. He's a star in the passing game. Use him that way. Uh, I guess the concern for me would be like, is Jameis, going to hurt him coming like more than Taysom is is Jameis coming back and is that going to lead to him kind of going back to more of a a rushing focused role because Dalton was probably good for him as you know a guy who's completely mobile and likes to throw short yeah we saw him get designed passing plays again which were kind of you know lacking in the the first couple weeks then you get get him from maybe a little more accurate uh quarterback because he got in week two when he came back week three that is against the Panthers he ran like a wheel route and had, and was, he probably could have touched down and Jameis, Jameis did and just like overthrew yeah. it. Uh, Cause everything is a pr- prairie yards is what me and Jago call them. But uh, yeah, like everything from Winston is our prairie yards. Uh, the Olave prairie yards that week. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that we listen the Olave is living that prairie yard life for sure. <laughs> um, we love, we love that. Uh, one of the things I've been asking kind of every guest this year and I'll probably still, cause we're still relatively early ish in the season. If even though we're forming, you know, a really good sense now of what we have in the fantasy landscape with players and teams, uh, who's one player that hasn't really performed up to par 
this season that gamers might be disappointed. You might even be disappointed in that you still kind of feel bullish on though, like big picture. If we were to, to do one of those like uh, segregations where we say this player from, from week six through week, week 17 was like the RB two or like the wide receiver one. Like, do you have any of those guys on the board that you still feel really confident? in? Well, I, I took a big, big position on Rashad white in best ball. And that's a guy who like, he obviously hasn't really done anything. And in fact, everything's looking up for Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette coming off this massive game. Um, And, you know, white, I don't think is going to challenge Leonard Fournette right now, but he does have 39% of the snaps over the last two weeks. Fournette has dropped to 62% after a real, I mean, he was like a mega workhorse to start the year with 85% of the snaps. So that's at least, I think like, bullish in the sense that white would very much be the guy if Fournette were to go down and we're now seeing the Buccaneers go ultra pass heavy. I mean, they're now passing at a rate that exceeds where they were last year in terms of pass rate over expected. They are completely leaning into the pass after a slow run heavy start, which makes sense because they were dealing with all sorts of injuries. I mean, they, they had a banged up offensive line in week one. They've had issues with not having Evans with injuries to basically everybody else. Um, but yeah, 16% pass rate of expected two weeks ago. They increased that to 18% last week. I think, you know, they're going to be pushing it. And that's great for Fournette because he just lives off the, the short passes. But I mean, Rashad White has the exact same type of profile where it's all about the receiving work. If we get, you know, a two, three stretch where Fournette's out, like White, I think is going to be like a top five running back. We're just going to be so excited to play him. So he's someone, I don't know if we'll ever get it. And I don't think he, like I said, I don't think he's coming for Fournette's job, but, you know, he's someone that I'm very, still very bullish on. The guy I'm struggling with more is Jamar Chase, who I want to believe in still, just based on talent. But I don't see that many, like, many reasons to, like, feel super strongly that it's going to rebound in a big way. I, he has been double teamed, uh, the second most in the league behind only Cooper Cup. So that would help explain, you know, why T. Higgins is, you know, getting a really strong target volume. Um, it's not even that strong to be honest for Higgins, but it's, it's as strong as chase. And then chase's yards per target is down from last year, uh, which should rebound. It's below what you would expect based on his a dot. But yeah, I mean, I don't have any faith in Zach Taylor to be creative here. It's not like he's going to get the stuff where he's mismatched against linebackers like cup and Jefferson. We're not getting that from Taylor. Uh, you know, so that, that's definitely a bummer. And the other thing is that the offensive line for the Bengals still stinks. So you're seeing Joe Burrow's dots almost a full yard below where it was last year. I think that's very much related to the line play. Kyle Dvorak on our preview podcast was noting that Jamar Chase's deep yards are way down. I think that's also very much related to the line play. So I, I want to continue to be bullish and, and bet on the talent there, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of like trying to find reasons and I'm, I haven't come up with a ton yet. Yeah, yeah. He's been kind of wide receiver, Jonathan Taylor, to start the year. Uh, just not getting a, a high run out. Um, you know, last week, 4.2 area hearts downfield, uh, a dot. That's not going to get it done. Like uh, we've seen, yeah, his deep ball rate has dropped off. But we saw that in the, in the back half of last year too, you know, uh, teams started to calibrate. Like, I think it was around like week, like 11 teams were like, oh my God, this dude is just absolutely roasting us downfield. Let's kind of calibrate. Let's take that away. And then the Bengals found ways to use like Jamar Chase's like yak ability and like be able to get him the football near the line of scrimmage. And he was still tremendous. Like he was even better for fantasy in a sense of like terms of getting receptions and yards than he was the front half. And it gave him a little bit more 
consistency uh, that hasn't been there this year on these short targets. And uh, definitely that goes a lot going into it. Burrow himself was due regression anyways. I mean, he was, he was. I mean, his touchdown rate and, you know, yards for pass attempt compared with the, the league high completion rate. Uh, there was all these things that were going to come back and it's kind of all just coming back at once. I, I, I'm holding out some hope. I think he's kind of an interesting DFS play this week. If T Higgins doesn't play just because of, He's he's getting so many targets when T Higgins isn't on the field, uh, mm-hmm. and that's becoming a thing with T Higgins uh, in his career. As good as T Higgins has played, like we, he seems to be like kind of the sports car mode. Like anytime he's dinged up, he's got to go back in the shop. Uh, can't really fight through anything. But since the start of last year, because obviously it's the only time Chase has been in the NFL, twenty eight point three percent of the team targets when Higgins hasn't played. He's been targeted on thirty two percent of his routes. Uh, this is not just like games out. This is like when Higgins just isn't on the field and Chase is. Uh, so maybe some upside here if Mar- Marshawn Lattimore is going to be out too. Obviously, we got the LSU narrative too in play with Burrow and Chase this week going back to New Orleans. Uh, would be kind of fun to swerve into that and, and say like maybe they'll put a big game together like Nick Chubb a couple weeks ago when he went back to Georgia. Um, but yeah, maybe some hope. Um, I was going to ask you too the, the same question of, who is a player you were high or low on that's changed your priors? Do you have another player or are you using Chase for that too? I would say Josh Jacobs has certainly changed oh, yeah. uh, my priors. I mean, not just that he's playing really well, which he is, but um, he's getting a ton of work, you know? And I, I think, I feel like somewhat justifiably, we were skeptical of that because, you know, the Josh McDaniels uh, legacy of, of never playing these guys at, at a high rate, but through five weeks, Josh Jacobs has a 75% snap share. You know, he's getting, he's getting used like a workhorse. So, and my thing with Jacobs has always been like, I've never really understood why he was such a two down grinder type. I mean, he was a, a, a pass catcher at, at Alabama. So, mm-hmm. you know, why hasn't he gotten a little bit more work? He is, you know, he's got an 11% target share now. That's, that's pretty nice. He's running really well. He's getting all the work. Um, maybe this, maybe this dries up a little bit, you know, maybe maybe Zamir White starts to emerge a bit but like I did not think that Josh Jacobs had this level of workload in his range of outcomes and he clearly did you know there's like a bit from ship chasing where Leone tried to get us to take Josh Jacobs in the ninth round and we were hemming and hawing and he's he told us we jumped the shark he was right we had jumped the shark we should have been happy to take Josh Jacobs there uh so yeah he's he's changed my mind a little, a little bit yeah, Josh Jacobs is always. I think it made sense like coming in, and I know we, it's easy to say like, oh, well, you know, hindsight, like we should have been on Josh Jacobs, right? But uh, you know, the team, not, not just Josh, Josh McDaniels, but they signed two pass catching, you know, running backs. They draft Samir White. It's there was like all, and the offensive line was was is objectively bad and still is bad. Um, so we were kind of expecting him not to get this run out. And week two, weeks one and two, he he is sharing that role. He's in like the role we thought he'd be in, and. It was like, yeah, okay, this is all happening. And then he just kind of – it was the week everyone thought, like, we weren't – he was going to play. He was sick, didn't mm-hmm. travel with the team to Tennessee. He, he flies on his own and basically just dominates every snap in that game. He plays good, and he hasn't looked back since. Um, and he's another one of those guys, when you look at, like, his splits, like running out of 11 personnel – uh, and, and three wide receiver sets and stuff like it's it's created like a huge advantage for him. I mean, he's averaging almost six yards per carry uh, running with three or more wide receivers on the field. And that's been a three base wide receiver team because, you know, Mac, everyone's been citing Mac Collins as, you know, route participation the entire year. Um, 
and the Raiders have kind of find a way to make that be better for their offensive line, you know, and create some things uh, and kind of circumvent their offensive line, not being very good top down on paper. Uh, it's one of the things I've been looking at, uh, especially this week of these guys that are getting these efficient like opportunities. Um, it's, it's tough to predict like going into a season, like stuff like that's going to happen, sure, but, yeah. but it is, you know, highlighting it now, you know, when it also, can... it just makes me feel like, you know, it's easy sometimes to, to kind of like when you think about these coaching changes and with Josh McDaniels, it's like, Oh, well it's going to, he's going to be a committee. He's going to have his committee approach. And, but there is just something where the coach has changed. Lots of things can now change that creates kind of volatility, a wider range of outcomes. And no one would have projected this particular range of outcomes. Like, I don't know, you could have given me like 10 tries and I would have got, I wouldn't have gotten to this. But, you know, I don't know. Sometimes we're just not going to be able to predict it. So I just a reminder to just like, I don't know, be humble with these these like very changing situations. It can go one way. The way that seems like it'll go can also, you know, like you're saying, like they could just play a lot more through wide receivers, opens things up for Jacobs. He gets way more snaps than anyone thinks. and, And now he's running super well. Yeah. And then we can always calibrate not only for like in-season trades and season long or look for like guys that get hot in certain pockets of the season. But I mean, you know, we have outlets like, you know, DFS and player props and all these things now to take advantage of, uh, you know, under the hood that some of these things don't get accounted for. Uh, So it's not like just because you didn't draft Josh Jacobs. I mean, I have one redraft team with Josh Jacobs on it and it was kind (laughs) of like a default. It was best ball. And it was just kind of a default pick. Like when I took it, it wasn't like I set out and was like, yes, Josh Jacobs, click it. It was kind of just like, I guess I'll take Josh Jacobs here, uh, you know. But uh, <laughs> but just because we didn't end up with Josh Jacobs doesn't mean we can't enjoy, uh, you know, the fruits of his success and cheer for him. I want as many good players that are in fantasy regardless if I have or not. Because Me too. there are other outlets uh, to get there outside of just my season-long teams. Um, you brought up ranges uh, of outcomes and kind of understanding that, like going into – uh, drafts in the season. I try to do like my best to like account for some of these things, right? Like I, you know, I was one of the people like that was talking about the Buccaneers, like, well, what if all these changes, like they just aren't quite as good of an offense, you know, does it, what happens? Like, does it devalue this player? Does it make this player better? Uh, situations like that. So let's talk about a couple of teams that have definitely not gone the way we have thought to maybe start the season from a top down view. And right now, currently entering week six, the two worst teams in yards per play offensively are the teams that played in the Super Bowl last year, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, you can start wherever you want with both these teams. I mean, obviously we know that Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup, but the Rams have a bunch of other players here. Like this can't just be it the rest of the year, right? Like this can't be what we're going to get the rest of the year or, or is it? To me, I think it's kind of the same thing for both teams. It's offensive line play. And we saw the Rams, uh, they're, they're 31st in PFF's pass blocking grades. They were first last year, uh, this massive drop-off. Uh, kind of predictably, it was a disaster when they went up against Dallas, who has an incredible pass rush. Uh, I think that if – I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to get much better in terms of the pass blocking, but they're not going to be playing Dallas every week. And this week they go up against a Panthers team that's got – you know, they've done pretty well in terms of, like, pressure rate and stuff, but – They've also played like Jacoby Brissett and Daniel Jones who kind of invite pressure. So Mm -hmm. I think they're probably a little overrated in terms of their ability to get to the quarterback. Um, So I I do wonder if maybe we see like a little bit of a spark of life from the Rams offense this week. 
but I don't know like what we do with that spark. Like, cause it just might mean that Cooper cup is, you know, kind of getting there without having to need such a massive target share or an incre- like a crazy high yards per target like he did last week. Um, cause I, I, I don't really see it for Allen Robinson. Uh, I think Tyler Higby, you know, maybe we'll feel confident about putting him in our tight end spot instead of gross, but, uh, I guess maybe like maybe Cam Akers maybe could be something if they're able to play from ahead a little bit more because Daryl Henderson's been kind of their passing down guy. But um, if the offense comes alive a little bit, I think he could benefit. But I don't know. I just it's tough for me to really know if they can turn the offensive line play around. And that's that's what I think like the big culprit Stafford's a dot is way down this year. He's He's got a lower ADOT than Ben Roethlisberger had last year. And it's just not the type of quarterback that he is. You know, if he can't challenge defenses downfield, he's not Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not going to, you know, kind of yeah. think and dunk and pick. And also, like, they don't scheme the same way. They, they do a great job of getting Cooper Cup scheme, but they don't – it's not San Francisco's offense. Like, they're not going to just have, like, Debo screens and that type of stuff to where they can have a ton of short passing and they'll be okay. And they don't run the ball well, uh, which is obviously a huge part of what San Francisco does. So – I just I think they need to figure out a way to get the deep passing game back. Um, I, I, I guess I, <laughs> I don't know how they do that necessarily, but but maybe maybe it moves in the right direction here without playing Dallas. Uh, and then yeah, I think it's very similar for uh, Joe Burrow. You know, as as I mentioned, I, he's he's getting pressured at a really high rate. The passing uh, not very good. His eight dots down. All the stuff with with Jamar Chase not seeing the deep targets at a high rate. Very similar. Their line isn't quite as bad as um, – or has, hasn't played quite as bad as the Rams line. So maybe there's some more hope there. I also think that if the Bengals just looked themselves in the mirror and said, our line's actually worse at run blocking than yeah. it is at pass blocking, why are we – why aren't we passing aggressively? Why aren't we leaning into being a pass-first team? Like, But again, I don't know that they'll do that. It's Zach Taylor. Like We've had this gripe with Taylor for like the entire borough – weirdly he actually was very passive in Burrow's rookie year, but last year it took forever for him to lean into the pass. And, you know, sure enough, he's not doing it this year. So I guess it's kind of like, does the offensive line play get better here? And if it does, I think both offenses will be fine. Are are you one of the people chasing the, you know, expected points on Joe Mixon? Are you, are you in on that? Or like, if you have Joe Mixon, are you still just trying to aggressively use that in your favor of saying like, this guy should be scoring fantasy points. You want him. (laughs) I don't think you can sell people on expected points. You know, I don't know if you saw Kevin Cole was was telling uh, Chiefs fans, they had a higher adjusted score in the game. They lost the Colts and that didn't go over very well on Twitter. So I think no, I missed that. (laughs) <laughs> it was like a huge backlash of like adjusted what <laughs> so, <laughs> there's the expected thing doesn't always uh resonate uh, i think you got to wait until mixon actually delivers some points which i think he will like i was very out on joe mixon but i think you like if you were out on joe mixon like i was this is not something to victory lap the fact that he has been wildly inefficient it, like efficiency is not very stable mm-hmm. the thing we want is workload which he has I didn't think that Mixon had any path to the type of receiving workload that he's gotten because he doesn't play on third down. So that hasn't really changed, but his target share is still way up from last year. And he's been consistently involved. Like he's down a 9% target share last week, which is the lowest of his season, but that's still pretty solid. So I'm, I'm actually kind of nervous about the Mixon stuff. Cause it's like, it kind of makes sense with the offensive line, not playing well, you know, they're getting the ball out a little quicker, a little more shallowly. 
and they're passing more to the running back on first and second down, which is when Mixon tends to be out there. So eventually he's going to rip off a long run. You know, he's going to have he's going to catch a few more of these passes. And, and then, you know, I'm just worried. I'm just like, please don't bury me, Joe Mixon. But I think if you if you're looking to get off this because you, you don't buy him, you know, long term, like I think you got to wait until he actually uh, has done some. I do actually have him in Dynasty League and I shopped him and then it's not gone well. So I, I do from experience. I think you got to wait a couple of games, but you'll probably get some improved efficiency from Mixon because workload tends to be more stable than efficiency. Right. Yeah, I was, I got it. When he went to like the second round, I started to have the the take of, oh man, like everyone's looking at like this upgraded offensive line for like this huge boom for the passing game. But I was like, oh, I'm expecting, because Joe Burrow had that quote where in the off season where he was expect, they were expecting to face more like too high safety stuff and, and to combat that. And I was like, oh, this offensive line is going to be huge for Mixon. Like this would be a huge upgrade. Like no one's taking this stance. Uh, they're going to be facing two high safeties. They're going to have a better offensive line. Like Mixon's going to thrive. No, no. <laughs> he actually leads the NFL and like runs out of 11 personnel and light boxes. And he's well below league average in like all of these, all of these metrics. <laughs> he doesn't uh, look very good. No, and the, his receptions, like, are it reminds me of Josh Jacobs' year last year, right? Like, when Josh Jacobs had a bunch of catches last year, but, like, they're not helping the offense on any level because, like, what's Mixon averaging, like, six yards a catch and, like, four yards per target? Like, it, like he's, like, getting these, like, target shares, but then, like, they're not coming with, like, any fantasy points. It's, like, it, that's what it reminds me of. Uh, so we need, actually, efficiency at both angles, yeah. uh, which is a bummer. You know, we touched upon the Colts earlier, like a being a disappointment and my goodness, like, and you know, Matt Ryan, you know, I don't want to just give it like dunk on like, you know, like, Hey, you, you took this 37 year old quarterback and like, you know, hoping for the best, but like, if you're going to take a 37 year old quarterback that can't move, like you better be able to protect him. And like, that's just been a nightmare. But the other person you mentioned, we were talking about Nick Chubb was, was Michael Pittman. And he's been, he's been all right. Like he hasn't been like terrible he's, he's only had like one, like really bad game. And it was against the Broncos who are really good against opposing wide receiver ones. But we've seen the impact for Michael Pittman in this offense though, too, as well, go along for the ride, like a Jonathan Taylor and a Matt Ryan, his, his longest target downfield was 17 yards this season. Uh, Michael Pittman was taken as a fringe wide receiver one, uh, I don't necessarily believe it's all his fault, but like, what are we supposed to really do with Michael Pittman the rest of the season? Yeah. And Alec Pierce has looked pretty decent. Um, you know, so maybe, you know, is he going to steal targets? I actually wonder if Pierce's emergence, although like maybe that actually helps Pittman. One thing that's tough with Pittman is he's got a 7.1 ADOT this year. Yeah. And I think it was a positive development last year where he's getting used kind of as an intermediate type of guy, like an intermediate number one, type of receiver, kind of a possession receiver plus. I think that's probably a pretty good role for Pittman. But we don't want him as a shallow underneath receiver. He's not like a game-breaking yards after catch guy. So with this shallow of an ADOT, it's just not going to be that fun. And then also, he's not getting targeted like all that frequently. He's only been targeted on 20% of his routes. Luckily, he runs like every single route, which has kind of been a feature. This was true of Pittman last year as well. So I think very related to kind of this coaching staff, use him as that guy. They want him out there every single snap. Uh, and so that's going to help his target share and everything. He's got a 24% target share, you know, pretty solid. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, you need better offensive line play here and you need a quarterback to be able to take more chances downfield. And so 
part of me does feel like, yeah, Pierce could help here. Pierce could help take the top off the defense a little bit. Now, Pierce only has an 11.9 ADOT, which, again, I think shows you the, you know, like typically a guy like Pierce, we might think has an ADOT 14, 15, 16. Um, So he's still being used more shallowly than you'd expect, which says something about the line, says something about Ryan. But to me, that's the path for Pittman is that Alec Pierce is able to lid lift a bit. The line starts playing a little bit better. And Ryan is only, you know, occasionally throwing to Pierce just to keep the defense honest, but he's more keyed into Pittman in the intermediate area. Yeah, I keep waiting for Pierce to jump Paris Campbell here, who's out here just running around every week. In sprints. Uh, yeah, big cardio guy, Paris Campbell out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I made the joke that Michael Pittman is looking uh, a lot like what we thought we were drafting Jacoby Myers as, like a you know high target share guy, but like just working all like yep. underneath. Uh, hopefully it turns though. Those two, all those teams that have been like a negative sense have been worse than kind of we all thought. Even if you were down on like guys like Matt Ryan or expected regression from you know the Rams and, and Cincinnati, but one of the biggest positives through five weeks has been the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and we had Dwayne McFarland on last week, and he was talking about how the Seahawks are doing all the things that we scream for a decade that they should mm-hmm. uh, start to do, playing with pace and you know being aggressive. Um, how much are you buying into like this, the Seahawks change? Do you think this is a short lived thing for a couple of weeks? Uh, or do you think this is going to be sustainable kind of big picture? Well, there's certain developments this year, probably none bigger than the Seahawks playing aggressively and succeeding with that style with Geno Smith while Russell Wilson <laughs> just, <laughs> just yes. burst into flames is absolutely useless. Uh, I, I don't know. It's like kind of messing with me. Like it's hard for me to get my head around. So I was very relieved to see that Pete Carroll this week said uh, Drew Locke is nipping at Geno Smith's heels. So I was like, okay, Pete Carroll's still Pete Carroll. Uh, the world, you know, I still understand some 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 of the basic rules of of the world that I live in. Uh, I think this week, you know, Walker is set up really really well because um, of this matchup. The Cardinals are absolutely terrible against the pass. And this offense, you know, when you look at like why the Seahawks were so successful against the Lions, it's because like they were slamming Penny into the line to begin that game. And then they were also, though, fairly efficient through the air. And then by the end of the game, Penny is ripping off super long runs and they're scoring at will. But it's kind of it's just like the best version of the Seahawks that you can think of. Like they're still. I still don't think they've like fundamentally changed, but if they can be efficient through the air, which they should be able to then in this, in this game, then I, I think Walker's set up really well. He's, he's like identical to Penny in terms of his skill set. He's a breakaway two down runner. He has a yards per route run under 0.5, which was the same as Penny. He's not going to be involved in the receiving game. I know there's been a little bit like, Oh, he's actually looks pretty good. Like I, I'm not buying that part of it, but that's okay. I don't think you have to, he's still going to get a lot of work. And he's got that same breakaway skill set as he showed last week with the 69-yard run. So, yeah, to me, um, for now, I think we probably are going to get a little bit more of this efficient Seattle offense. It is hard for me to buy, like, long-term. Like, if you had a chance to to get out while the, the getting's good on, like, even on Metcalf and Lockett, who are, it's a super concentrated offense, so they'll, they'll be okay even if there's some drop-off, but... I don't know, man. Like, where are you at on this? This is this has been a tough one for me. It it absolutely has, and uh, especially because it's so weird. Uh, You know, I put in my column this week, you know, about Geno Smith. uh, 
they're like it's it's just so weird how they're getting there too because it's like all front half production and then they don't do anything in the second half of these games uh his epa per dropback geno smith's is is 0.54 uh, to give some context that Josh Allen is second at 0.33. So like, <laughs> like he's like almost two times better than Josh Allen. Who's this, the, you know, basically the best quarterback. Like, and, and then, in, but then in the second half, he's 33rd in EPA per drop back uh, one passing touchdown second half. And if you've watched any Seahawks games, you know, like they, they're, they're really hot starts. And then they kind of just meander through the second half and can't score points. They did it against the Falcons when it looked like that game was going to be a bonanza. They couldn't score week one against Denver, just completely the faucet turned off uh, the lions. You can maybe say they just down throttled. And like, that was why, like, you know, they were, up, think, they, yeah. they were up big and just down throttled uh, last week. They're up big and then couldn't, couldn't punch out. Just really weird how it's happening uh, with Gino. He's also like unreal against the blitz right now. Like it's just like, there's just all these like weird things. And you're like, all right. Cause this isn't like even a Renaissance or a rebound. Like we never had a Geno Smith that was like good. Right. And like right. he would, he was never just like good for a couple of years and like went away. Like no one can be like, do like say like Andy Dalton right now, like Andy Dalton just caught fire. You'd be like, all right, well, like Andy Dalton was never a great quarterback, but like he was like a functional quarterback for a while. Like Geno played himself out of being like a starter at the NFL level, like early like very early in his career. And now he's like out here just throwing like absolute seeds, like demon balls. <laughs> like, and, like it's just absolutely crazy. Like to watch some of these throws and I'm for it. Like I said, we want as many guys to be good. I just don't know. I, just, I don't know like what to really think, like how believable is this? I will say from like a perspective of like how the Seattle is operating, I, that gives me a little more confidence that at least say like guys like, to still confidence in guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like they can still get there, uh, even if they might not run as pure as they have these last three weeks. Uh, but it's tough for me to believe yeah. they keep doing that. Yeah, like, <laughs> Pete Carroll's going to be a pass-first coach the whole year. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's crazy because they're kind of like alive now. I mean, they, they, we know like big picture they're not really alive because the defense is so legitimately bad that like. But like the NFC West is such a hodgepodge right now. Like they're they have to at least sell themselves that they're they got a puncher shot in the NFC West at this point yeah. of the season. Uh, that is, even though they got flooded by the 49ers, like a team they're directly going to compete with. But yeah, super weird, super weird team. Uh, the team they played last week. Um, we, I gotta at least get your take on this. I'm sure you probably talked about this on that NBC shows and stuff. But like, I gotta get the Taysom Hill take. Like what? How, what are you doing at Taysom Hill? Like, are, do you think he's like just a viable plug and play tight end one the rest of the season? Like, what are you, what are you doing with this? So we had Davis Maddock on ship chasing last night and, oh gosh, uh, yeah, come on. We know this he is was, <laughs> he, we had Taysom Hill available in our uh, FFPC main event league and like Davis, you know, he of course was like trying to up the bid and we're like, I don't know. That seems aggressive, man. He's like, he was trying to get spend like 210 of our fab for Taysom Hill. And we're trying to get him to lower it. He goes, you guys are addicted to losing. <laughs> <laughs> then he went, Taysom Hill went for like 650 of the, of the Ooh. budget. Like he was, yeah, people, people want Taysom Hill. I don't, I'm having trouble with it. I get, I get the tight ends terrible. And Kyle put it as like, look, we're just banking on a touchdown from like Irv Smith anyway. So why don't you just bank on a rushing touchdown right. instead of the receiving touchdown, which I kind of get, but like he doesn't really have that big of a role. So I guess it's just tough. Like I'm banking on like eight wildcat snaps. Maybe <laughs> that just seems so thin. I don't know. I think 
from the best ball perspective, he's already paid that off. It's already a smash pick. You know, take your victory laps if you were taking Taysom Hill in best ball. But from a season long perspective, you're going to have to pick the week that you're putting him in your lineup. He's it's almost impossible for me to imagine that he doesn't have some really, really bad weeks coming up. Multiple weeks of zeros, three weeks of zeros or close to it. Right. Week four, you're putting him in your starting lineup because that might be the week he blows up. Like, I don't know. It's just going to be so unpredictable that I feel like the next time he has this incredible week, it's just as likely as not he's on your bench, which makes me less interested. Yeah. The only way I think you could do this, like is literally if you just play him every week and you don't care about taking a zero, right? Yes. Like you, you can't, you're not going to do this with any foresight. There's just no way. None. Uh, maybe you could say like they have, if it's like a high, you're chasing a high team total, which how many are the saints going to really have like, you know, over the course of the season, uh, this isn't the, the Drew Brees saints, but like even guys like, I don't know, man, like, I'm trying to think of like who like even is at the bottom, like say Gerald Everett, right. Who's like this guy that's consistently ranked as like a lower, like tight end one, like even like four or five points is more than zero. And like, it's tough. And I, I guess he's probably a terrible example because he just had 1.2 points <laughs> last week, but he is, I guess. So maybe I'm even making the argument for the people that are doing this, but I will say if you're going to do the tasteful thing, like you can't get on and off, right? Like that's what basically like the, the, like you just have to do it and live with it. You yeah. put him in and he's your tight end and so be it. But if you're going to try to get it right, like week to week, then it's you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to leave too many points on. Like uh, I actually do a main event team with Davis and we actually had, we drafted him, uh, but it's a Kelsey team. So like he'll never get in. Like, <laughs> well, you wait, he might be trying to flex him soon. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, you know uh, yeah, he was tilting because we had him uh, last week, you know, he had all his points. It's like, Oh, we're not getting any of those. And then Kelsey had basically a taste and yeah. hill game with receptions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, 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 the seven catch 25 yard four touchdown game. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to get the, that. There is, take on that. <laughs> there is something, I feel like it's the meme where, you know, it's like the idiot, and then, you know, he's like, you got to play Taysom Hill in your tight end spot every week. And then there's, he goes up to like the semi-smart guy and he's like, well, actually, Gerald Everett and George Kittle has a ceiling too, even though he doesn't <laughs> score any points most weeks. And then he goes down, yeah. you know, the super smart guy, just play Taysom Hill every week. Yeah, that's great, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it is another just terrible run out for tight ends. I mean, uh, I remember week three, like people were out there like, Tyler Conklin's a tight end three. Like, yeah, he was such a gem. And I'm like, that just tells me there's only two good tight ends. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> and Tyler Conklin just weird. lost his job. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you're following it, yeah, CJ Zoma played over him. Uh, but even guys like Darren Waller, that whole secondary like tier has just basically died. That whole Kittle-Pitts-Waller tier. Oh my goodness. Like, and then Schultz was right after that too. So good, good God. Uh, you drafted any of those guys. I mean, what a bunch of opportunity costs and equity he, you know, was forfeited at that point. But uh, before I get you out of here, let's talk at least a little bit about some of these, uh, you know, games head into week six. Maybe we could, we could spin it into DFS. How much, how much DFS do you usually play? Do you play a lot of DFS or no? I play a decent amount of DFS. Yeah, I do. I do like small field tournaments um, mm-hmm. every week. So I have also, you know, been, having a, a tough go with the chalk just absolutely smashing um but yeah it's been tough because this week the bills chiefs is going to be that super chalky game i assume and yeah so, let's let's dig into that a little bit because you, you know also for the people that don't know pat does write the matchups column for nbc i believe it comes out on fridays right that's right 
yeah, yeah, it'll so, be, it's out Friday morning. I, I don't sleep until it's out uh, Thursday night. So it'll be, it'll be out Friday morning. Beautiful, beautiful. So, I mean, have you already written like this game up? Do you like, you got, yeah, like, I've written this game up. All yeah. right. So, yeah, let, I mean, let, let's talk about it from a top down stance because, you know, obviously, if from a redraft stance, a lot of people are just going to play the regulars, but, you know, we'll spin this a little bit more on like a individual game take. Let's talk about the, the first guy that might have some redraft implications, though. And uh, that, that's Devin Singletary. Uh, you know, Devin Singletary was a guy who for weeks three and four looked like we were going to, he was like back, like he was, he was going to be like the, the back to what we had at the end of last season. Uh, they blow out the Steelers. He does nothing. Uh, now we've got him in maybe a competitive game script. Uh, are you going back to him in season long as an RB two? And do you think he has like, what do you just look at his, just talk about his game outlook here. He's actually one of my favorite pieces of this game. Um, and I haven't dug in. So generally my process is I do like I, for everything for the walkthrough, I, I, you know, I write it up. I'm kind of in the weeds on that. Um, And then I kind of on Friday start to look at salaries, who's chalky. Mm -hmm. Obviously this, this game, you don't have to really look at anything to know it's going to be chalky. Uh, But I assume Singletary will be kind of a pivot piece here. I'm hoping that he's not going to be super uh, heavily owned. So, uh, you know, he only played 54% of the snaps against the Steelers, but Case Keenan played 14% of the snaps. They pulled the starters. You know, that's not a concern. He had 74% uh, snaps in the Bills' loss to the Dolphins. He was up to 87% in the three-point win over the Ravens. He had 100% snaps when they played the Chiefs in the playoffs last year. Uh, we know that they tried to bring in a receiving back in J.D. McKissick. They draft James Cook. Eventually, I think that will end up hurting Singletary's role, but I don't think it will this week. I think they're just going to lean on Singletary. That seems to be what they've done in both of the two, like actually competitive games they've had this year. And, you know, the fact that this should be a competitive game, you know, is good for everybody, but I think particularly it's probably good for Singletary. Um, I don't think Singletary is like a special talent by any means, but I think he has RB one upside here for sure. If he's going to get like a huge snap share and that's exactly what he had last time they played. Yeah, I think when we look at this early signal from the, you know, the Bills is that he is like their, I call him the, the foxhole running back, right? Like when everything's against the fan, like he's the guy they trust. And you yes. look at his games that he had 18 and 15 touches in, they lost by two, they won by three. The other three weeks, they won by 21, 34 and 35 points. Like there's no real need, but when like the, their back's against the wall, like he's the guy I trust. So if you believe that the Chiefs, uh, the implied game total is going to play out accordingly. Like he would be the guy that would just log a lot, a huge allotment of the snaps and a potentially high scoring game. I think we all believe the bills are probably going to do their part at least. So, yeah, I think he's really interesting from a DFS perspective. Also uh, even especially in DraftKings, he's in like this gray area where like, we know like Ramondre, Brees Hall, uh, Kenneth Walker and Eno Benjamin are all going to be like really popular just by default. And he's like in the middle of all that. So I'm hoping that just like the game doesn't elevate his ownership, but uh, cause I'm in the same boat as you. I think he's probably one of the more intriguing pieces of this game. Uh, and I'm hoping that all those like cheap running backs that we now have on the board are going to, you know, kind of di- distract people from that. Uh are you trusting any chiefs receiver here? Like, what are you even doing with the chiefs receivers? You can even spend in a season long stance. Like, how are you even handling these guys? I, it's tough, man. Like the Juju, Juju, I was actually pretty bearish on Juju. I have some exposure to him on my high stake stuff. Cause I co-manage with a lot of people who weren't bearish. Um, but I was, you know, avoiding him pretty heavily in best ball, but I was in on MBS. I was in on Sky Moore. 
you know, so <laughs> I can't really lap this. <laughs> Nothing's worked. You know, none of the receivers are, are guys that you want. Um, so I, I feel like Marcus Valdez Scantling is like at least the most interesting because uh, if when I look at this Bills defense, they get to the quarterback without blitzing mm-hmm. and they drop, you know, they drop the rest of the, the defenders back in coverage. And it strikes me that this could be a very bad situation for the Chiefs if they're not able to have someone go downfield. Like more than ever, you'd want someone to be able to challenge downfield in this game. So to me, it's like very potentially like a really bad game set up for Juju, where you know you'd imagine intermediate stuff. Kelsey's going to be the guy that Mahomes is looking for primarily, which has been one of the problems for Juju all year. But maybe you know if this game gets a little nutty, one of the nice things about Mahomes is that he is willing to challenge deep. He is willing to take chances when down. So if the Bills play from ahead, I think they maybe that makes Marcus Valdez Scantling even more interesting. So to me, it would be him, maybe Nicole Hardman with the same idea, just bet on kind of the speed. You know, he's got a, a 10.9 ADOT, which is only uh, – Valdez Scantling's got 11.1. So it's you know, basically the same depth of target for Hardman. Um, so those would be the guys that come to mind for me. I, I, I don't really have much interest in Juju here. Where are you at? Yeah, Juju was one of those guys, like, I was kind of out on. Like, I did my initial run of projections. He just didn't pop. And then, like, I started to, like, you know, we are around this for, like, so many months, right? And we're around people that we inherently, like, know are smart. And, like, everyone just – everyone, that, like, I really like and respect started, like, the really kind of beyond Juju. And I'm like, man, am I just miss, – am I missing it? And I started to nudge him up, right, as a product of just, like, you know, like, well, I don't want to, like, be completely out then if, like, all these smart people are in. Um, and I ended up nudging him up and – it, it really doesn't look good now. I don't think he's necessarily looked like terrible. Um, he just like has no explosion anymore. Like, you know, there's yeah. just like, there's just no big plays. And we've seen that be like kind of a thing with the chiefs and their offense so far. I mean, I don't know if anyone's noticed that Patrick Mahomes the last month is 25th in yards per pass attempt. And it's largely because he's throwing to running backs and tight ends. Right. Like, yep. like no one, everyone's going to come down. You know, I always get with, 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 with Warren and uh, Dan on the site, like uh, we always talk about the charges, right. And Justin Herbert's laid out and the impact that Joe Lombardi has on it. But I'm like, yeah, he's also throwing 300 passes to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Like, like he's not going to have a high dot. They don't have anyone like to throw to. Uh, and we're starting to see that a little bit with like what the chiefs have had to start the season. Uh, hopefully they figure something out as it goes along. But yeah, from a DFS stance, it's hard for me to like pinpoint anyone, especially against the bills. We do know that they like, you know, we know they're going to, they're not going to rush and they're going to play a lot of big over the top coverage, trying to give up big plays. So like the signal would be like, all right, if Juju's at least going to stack some empty catches, this would be the game. Uh, but it's really hard to like invest any upside upside in there, especially because we live in a salary cap world in DFS and like there are guys that just have better ceilings around him in terms of pricing. Um, yeah. Plus like, I don't know that he's getting open easily. Right. You know, (laughs) it's like, yeah, it's tough. Uh, do you have, I mean, is there a Chiefs guy like you uh, outside of just saying Kelsey, because really expensive and you have to pay up for uh like is there a chiefs guy like you feel good at like a bring back if you're doing bill stacks which i think will be more popular is there a chiefs do you have a, a favorite chief i think it's probably mvs although again I, i'm not familiar too much with like what that does to you salary wise but maybe hardman just to keep it cheaper um but yeah i mean i think 
I know I'm not allowed to say Kelsey, but it's like, you know, I'm really <laughs> Kelsey's the one, I, the only one I feel confident in. McKinnon, you know, is somewhat interesting, but I don't, you're going to be burning a running back spot. That doesn't feel good. So mm-hmm. I, he's probably not really in play. But I mean, look, if you were to play this as like Mahomes, Kelsey, and a receiver, and then you bring back like, like Singletary. I mean, in a small field, maybe you could bring back Singletary and a Bills receiver and just play for this game to go nuts. But that's not going to be a high-owned way to play this game, right? No one's playing Mahomes. Um, you can get you can get your Kelsey, you know, that way. I don't know. I I would love to know the answer. I would love this is one where it's like, just tell me which receiver to play as the bring back. Do you yeah, think yeah. you can do this without? A bring back is that too disrespectful to Patrick Mahomes? Um, it's I think it's definitely open when they played in the regular season last year and the Bills won 38 20. I mean, Kelsey got there, but it wasn't like you know, you know, he, he did have a, a, a nice solid game, but it's not like it would have just absolutely smoked you. Um, so yeah, I think you, you could, especially at Kelsey's salary. Uh, I'm curious to see where Kelsey and Mark Andrews like come in because Mark Andrews obviously has like this phenomenal matchup against just, you know, the former, you know, former defense corner week Martindale who just plays like man coverage and they blitz and Mark Andrews is just destroying man coverage and seeing all these targets. Um, and I, I was wondering if like the way to stack it is like bills plus Mark Andrews instead of bills plus Kelsey, but uh, mm. it's obviously really expensive to do as well. Like it's not like really saving you any money. Uh, I'm curious what you think about the bills pass catchers here. Cause the last, well, every game that Stephon Diggs has been with the Bills and they played against the Chiefs, Steve Spagnolo has just like devoted like hell or high water. Like Stephon Diggs is not the dude beating us. He hasn't had more than 77 yards in any of these games. He has one touchdown. Uh, and as a byproduct, that's how you get 200 yards and four touchdowns hung up on you by Gabe Davis. Uh, yeah. So I'm curious to see how you how he handles that we obviously don't know and we can do some guesswork there if we want but like to see if like that was a lesson learned or he continues to say like all right i still want to see gabe davis and isaiah mckenzie beat me uh because the other side of the coin right now the chiefs are getting absolutely decimated by opposing wide receiver ones like every single week every dude has gotten off hollywood brown had 40 yards and a touchdown mike williams eight for 113 a touchdown Pittman eight for 72 mike evans had 100 yards and two touchdowns Devontae adams at 124 yards and two touchdowns. So, like, we have the yin and yang here of, like, the Chiefs are getting smoked by wide receiver ones. But in these matchups, they have a four-game sample where they've just thrown everything they could at not letting Stephon Diggs win. Uh, how do you handle that? Uh, you know, how do you play that kind of devil and angel on your shoulder? Yeah, because the the thing – this is one of my favorite stats uh, on Gabe Davis. Uh, so, last year, Emmanuel Sanders played 18 games. He had 271 yards on 20-plus yard targets uh Gabe Davis already has 207 in just four games so that's 15 (laughs) deep yards a game for Emmanuel Sanders 52 for Gabe Davis I think like this you can't ignore Gabe Davis if you ignore Gabe Davis you're going to get absolutely roasted you know as as the Chiefs learned last year um and you know this by the way 52 yards uh on deep targets per game where two games we're pretty sure that Gabe Davis was not really healthy, you know, kind of just out there doing nothing, get really not getting targeted while he's dealing with this ankle injury. So obviously after last week, we're, we're pretty sure he's healthy now. It's not necessarily going to be awesome for Stefan Diggs in terms of the target share stuff. But if you have a guy effectively opening up the defense, you know, the defense cannot ignore Gabe Davis as a deep threat, then it's good. I think it's better than Diggs 
you know, than not, you know, there's, there's more positives than negatives here for Diggs. So I don't know. I think both guys are, are great. Uh, <laughs> sorry for not having a more definitive answer. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I think they're both awesome even, plays. Yeah. These are, uh, we're trying to figure out the, the lay of the land here. Uh, yeah. I'm curious to see too, the first game post no Jamison Crowder's foot injury for Isaiah McKenzie to see if like that makes him a full-time slot player or if Khalil Shakur inherits like the snaps Jamison Crowder was getting because McKenzie's been getting there on touchdowns, but he's also been sharing a lot of the routes run. Uh, So I'm really curious to see how that plays out for a week, you know, to start because if Isaiah McKenzie starts becoming like getting the like route participation rate of like a full-time player, then he can be maybe a potential like weekly guy that we're just trusting. Right. And we're playing because in the offense, um, but like the big hangup so far, he's been really touchdown dependent uh, on these snaps. So I'm really curious about that too. Um, Do you think Shakir gets run? Cause he was 89% in the slot last week. Um, So it would make sense for him to, and he was good. So it makes sense for him to continue being out there. I think to some, maybe he's the new Crowder. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. To see how they play it. Now the bills, have kind of always slow played these guys, even when they're called. Up. Remember, we did this with Gabe Davis, right? Yeah, like, and remember, Gabe Davis played as a rookie, and we're like, oh, like it's here, right? Like he's he's gonna start playing. And then they're like, nah, we're gonna go back, and we're gonna we're we're gonna play John Brown. Uh, we're gonna get John Brown back in the field, and you know, we're gonna get Emmanuel Sanders in the field. And they did it with Devin Singletary too, right? As a rookie, it took them like you know uh, to be beat over the head, so they had no other options to play Devin Singletary as a rookie. And then in year two, they were like, "Well, we don't know yet." <laughs> like, you know, we're gonna play some Zach Moss too, uh, and uh, they're doing it with James Cook right now, right? Like, like they've been really slow to play their rookies kind of consistently. So I'm curious to see if Shakir just gets put back on the shelf. He was a guy they've arguably already done with. They've done this with Shakir already uh, mm-hmm. with Jay Kumaro. Yeah, who played ahead of him and what the game that Gabe uh, Gabe Davis missed. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Shakir is a, a just a pure slot guy. That's what is his profile coming out. So maybe that like impacted what happened in the Tennessee game. But obviously, their primary slot guy is coming back this week. Right. So like, yeah, I'm curious to see how it was. He, I loved him as a prospect. He was one of my favorite guys coming out as like that pure slot guy. Like, yeah, I was in drafted on a ton of dynasty teams. I hope he gets playing time this early. I was expecting it, but you saw that. Like, I they, thought. Sorry, I, I thought he was going to be like the Jahan Dotson that the NFL loved, and I was going to be like, I don't know, there's some holes in this guy's profile. But then the NFL didn't love him, and then the dynasty community also didn't love him, and I was like, I guess I'm drafting him then. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> especially <laughs> went to the Bills. Like it was like, yeah, easy game. But you saw like this is the difference between the Bills and the Chiefs as we ran through like the Chiefs. Like they haven't been able to figure out how to get production out of all these ancillary guys. Not even they're not even ancillary guys. Like they're counting on these guys outside of Travis Kelsey and they haven't found a way to get production and like the bills continuously just get production of the next guy up. Like, you know, they're like, all right. And they're running plays for him. Like they are ran plays for Khalil Shakir last week. And like Isaiah McKenzie has been productive. We saw this consistently with, you know, the last couple of years. And it's kind of the difference between like where the two teams are right now. And uh, yeah, it is interesting. So we kind of walked through maybe even having some kind of a, uh, you know, kind of being feeling kind of wishy-washy maybe a little bit about this game from an individual player stance. Like, do you, is there a game you think that is like a better stack than this one or a better game environment than this one or just an outright better pivot game that you like more in this one? I mean, I don't think better, you know, because you can like, I don't know, you could do Allen Singletary and then like Gabe. And I feel like you've got a massive ceiling, you know, and a potential, you know, there's probably weird ways that you can play it is what I'm saying that are maybe, 
not going to be mega, mega chalky. And to me, the big concern here from a DFS perspective is just how much people are on it. Like if, and this would never, ever happen, but let's just say for whatever reason, this game was under the radar. I w- there would be no better spot than this game. Like this would be so, but is there a pivot game? Yeah, I think there's a pivot game. To me, the, the pivot would be the Tampa Bay game. Because mm-hmm. we, we have, we have Brady. I mean, we Brady was like mega chalk last week. And we just have a Pittsburgh defense that got lit up by the Bills. And now everyone's, you know, everyone's going over to this Bills game. So I don't know. I kind of want to go back to taking advantage of this Pittsburgh defense. Brady's in a similar situation where there's going to be no pressure on him. That's where he was last week with the Falcons are not going to be able to get to the quarterback. The Steelers have not been able to get to the quarterback since they lost J.J. Watt. He's going to be able to sit back there and deal. He might have better chance even than last week of hitting deep shots. I like Mike Evans in this game. So I think Braided Evans is pretty fun. Chris Godwin's snaps were – he's only playing about half the snaps last week. So, like, who knows? Maybe he'll be in a full-time role, but maybe they're just kind of working him back slowly. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Fournette has shown a massive ceiling. Um, you can maybe take – you know, we got the uh, – I guess, are we getting Cam Brait back? Yeah, he's, week, so. he was practicing, so at this stage, I would assume it's a positive sign. Yeah, one way or another, we should get a cheap tight end in this game. And then um, I, I think Deontay Johnson's pretty interesting as a potential bring back. I think George Pickens is interesting as a, a potential bring back. I think Pickett looks like capable enough. Um, so you can 50 passes last week. Like at least if we're going to know we're going to get 50 passes and Fryer Moose going to be out, like you'll at least throw some targets at the wall. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel great to not have, uh josh allen because he's gonna put up like 40 points again but (laughs) (laughs) this is this is a game where i feel like no one from what i'm seeing like no one's really on it and it's funny uh, that you brought this up because i do a a show where i pick three games with holka and this was one of the games i did uh so i'm kind of pleasantly surprised that you talked about it uh yeah the biggest fear is obviously you look at like the millie maker winner last week one with all Brady's guys, but with Josh Allen, like he had right. three bucks and Josh Allen, because even Brady, he had 20 fantasy points and still isn't getting to like the levels, like where Josh Allen's operating right now. Right. Uh, Josh Allen should be nine K on DraftKings. He should be 10 K on FanDuel. Like I, I don't, I feel pretty strongly about that. Like he should be in an area where like you, like 5% of the field has to choose that they want to play him instead of basically 20%. <laughs> Um, well, could we do that? Could we go like Allen Singletary and then do like two bucks? Like Mike Evans. Yeah. In Fournette. Yeah. 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 You could. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I think we just saw evidence of it a week ago. And, um, you know, Brady's not going to be this. I will say Brady did have some bad touchdown luck last week. You know, mm-hmm. we had, we had what Godwin tackled, tackled at the one and they kicked three red zone field goals. They kicked three red zone field goals, right? Uh, you know, because he had 351 passing yards. Like, if you have three touchdowns with those, like, that chalk looks a lot different, right? Yes. Like, yes. you know, if you get the three passing touchdowns instead of one. Because he's thrown for 385 and 351. I would bank that he starts with 300 yards this week. Like, I would just say he's going to get you that bonus on DraftKings. Yeah. Um, and he's 6300 6, uh, in salary. Uh, so, if you just have better touchdown fortune, I think you're in a lot better spot than you were a week ago. Um, uh, yeah, and I think the Steelers guys all – present interesting runbacks enough because they all play a ton of snaps like they're all just on the field the entire game and you look at last week if you're going to flirt with 50 passes again which i think we w- we will flirt with 50 pass attempts again with the steelers 
uh, unless the Bucks just don't have like as quick striking drives as the Bills had, which is potential. But we'll flirt with a lot of pass attempts here, given yeah. that the Bucks aren't going to let Najee Harris run on him uh, on them. So all these guys, I think, are probably good for like seven plus targets, and you can kind of pick who your favorite guys are. But yeah, I think this game is interesting. Mike Evans looks like really the one guy that I think like a one p.m. bullet that looks really underowned uh, in That's, projected ownership. So we'll see. I'm planning on having. And this is tough because I really want to name the walkthrough this week after Ramondre Stevenson. But I, I'm currently I currently have Mike Evans slotted in as the cover boy for mm. the walkthrough this week. Ooh, I, I'm pretty ooh, excited. Is that like been excited. a gift or a curse this year? How's it been going? It's been a gift. Yeah. Okay. It's been okay. A gift. I think, we I think a touchdown for every cover boy this, this year. Last last, last week was Nick Chubb. So yeah. train guaranteed a Mike Evans touchdown. I didn't get you heard it here. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'll get yeah. you out here one quick one. It could be just rapid fire. You only – who's the uh, – we're going to have four really chalky running backs, uh, Ramondre, Brees Hall, uh, Eno Benjamin, and Kenneth Walker. Uh, who's the best one out of all of them? Uh, I think – I mean, Ramondre feels, like, pretty great. Uh, you can't have – now, but the thing is, I actually kind of liked Khalil Herbert when in the game uh, – when he and he failed as chalk. Um, and maybe it's similar to that because it's like the the efficient rushing offense might be the other side of that game. I, that was when what they went against uh, Houston. Oh, they go? Oh no, the Giants. I think was oh oh oh, oh yeah 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 yeah. So you actually wanted the expensive, talented running back in Saquon this week. That could be Chubb, and then maybe Ramondre just kind of grinds it out on the Patriots side. So I, I still I still am tempted to say him, but I do think he can fail. Like I don't, there's no one here that I'm like lock buttoning. Uh, okay. I don't think uh, the Eno ones. My my guess is once I start to build lineups, the Eno might be the toughest to get off um, because he gives you the the salary relief, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean Kenneth Walker, like Kenneth Walker can definitely fail. You know, like he's a two down running back uh it's the seahawks like we you know we just talked about how this whole situation is really messing with us like maybe maybe he just doesn't score and then you know he doesn't get the bonus and he has like he runs efficiently but only for like 93 yards and that's that uh i i think he will have a good game but i'm not like i'm not terrified of fading kenneth walker chalk right. i mean also it's it's a rookie and pete carroll's a weird dude like <laughs> DJ you know, Dallas run up. <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. Like if he's gonna be massively owned, like I I'm will I'm happy that's a potential outcome. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I would say from a floor perspective, I think you know, factory and salary probably Brees and you know like don't kill you. Like they're the two guys that definitely don't kill you. And then Ramondre has the kind of like he could be a top five running back. Uh yeah. so yeah. I love it. I love it. Listen, uh, dynamite stuff. Uh, you delivered as expected. Uh, always at the end of the show, you know, kind of let you do the run out here. Let everyone know where they can find you, where you can find your work, what you have cooking, all that good stuff, you know, or promote whatever you want, man. Go crazy. Yeah. So I'll mention, uh, obviously the walkthrough as we've, we've talked about, uh, this is where I'm getting a lot of the, the nuggets here, uh, continuing the legacy of the road world preview column uh, the, the matchups column the worksheet you know trying to trying to do my best to, to keep the site's reputation <laughs> you know up to that high high standard so um check out the walkthrough to be out friday morning and i will also be on uh famous football happy hour with matthew barry on friday uh and we'll be we'll be talking through some of these games i'll actually be bringing up the tampa bay game is a game i really like in addition to the chiefs and bills 
Uh, it's kind of a fancy, rich environment. Uh, and anyway, uh, you can check out Chip Chasing. Uh, Wednesdays, 9.15. Uh, and we cover our waiver wire and high stakes uh, high stakes stuff. In addition to some other things, we got into the poker scandal last week. You know, whatever comes up. Uh, yeah, I made sure to like, I've never been invited uh, on Chip Chasing to do a draft or do anything. I made sure to let Gretch know a couple weeks ago. We need to, we need to correct that. That's a, that's a major Uh, oversight. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to keep just poking the bear, uh, like (laughs) what's going on here, but, uh, listen, it was great as always. Uh, we made it through, we're approaching week six. Hopefully everyone, you know, gets those wins in their seasonal leagues. You hit those cash lines. Hopefully you tip something over if you can. Everyone have a great week six. We'll be back in week seven.